This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Always appreciate being a part of your day. We've got a busy show this uh, this this day. We're going to be talking with Brian Basting, economist at ATI, here in just a moment. And then after that, we're going to get the update on a new piece of legislation that was just filed, E-15, available to be sold year-round. Senators Fisher and Klobuchar introduced that bill, and we will have Robert White of the RFA on to discuss it here in just a moment. And then in segment three, ag labor issues remain a top concern, particularly in the dairy industry. Dr. Michael Dykes, president and CEO of the International Dairy Food Association, will be joining us to talk about how that has impacted their sector. And we're to close today by looking at uh, soybean performance this past year with Doug Little of BASF. But before we dive into all of that, let's talk about these volatile markets. Joining us now, Brian Basting, ATI. And Brian, I want to talk South America weather. First and foremost, how are things looking down there with that crop? It's a bit of a divergent pattern, if you will, Mike, between Brazil and Argentina. Brazil is off to a fine start. They got planted on time. They've had pretty good moisture throughout the country. A little bit dry maybe in the south, but other than that, off to a very good start. In contrast, Argentina, Mike, has been quite dry, I want to say, since the the, the summer. Uh, for about the last four months, historically dry, as a matter of fact, some of the driest provinces in 44 years in Argentina. So, we're really looking at uh, critical months coming up for December, pod set and pod fill in, in Brazil. And as we get into January, Mike, will the weather improve for pod set and pod fill in Argentina? Big question mark. You know, that is a huge question. And Brian, we continue to hear about Argentina moving the beans they've got on hand. I know they've recently reintroduced their soy dollar program. And it, does it sound like farmers are going to be jumping in to take advantage of that program down there? You hit the nail on the head, Mike. They are jumping as we speak here. A very attractive opportunity for the producer in Brazil to liquidate those beans and take advantage, as you said, of the currency uh, deal, if you will, that the government set up. We saw that in September, Mike. We saw Argentina aggressively ship beans. We look for the same potential to develop here in the month of December. All right. As we're thinking about the bean shipments coming out of Argentina, I want to look to a little different uh, South American topic, which is Brazilian corn. Brian, we've seen the Chinese and the Brazilians form a fairly fast friendship over corn exports. Where does that go from here? What does this look like, this partnership between those two? You're spot on, Mike. That has added a new dynamic to the market. And for the U.S. producer, it's a bearish dynamic because China is lifting or beg your pardon, beg, lifting corn from China as we speak here. Uh, basically, Brazil corn is on its way to China and will continue to be that way throughout the month of December here, Mike, into January. And the volumes being talked about are substantial. Maybe 100 million bushels here during the month of December, maybe even more than that stretching into January. Point being is that all those bushels that are being shipped from Brazil to, our, to China are displacing U.S. bushels that were there a year ago. That's the thing. And Brian, I mean, I've got to imagine we're going to notice this in total exports here as the year goes on. Is the USDA going to roll these potential concerns into the next WASDE report, do you think? Our bias is, Mike, is that the USDA is overstating uh, the 22-23 corn export forecast at 2150. Our bias is that number could come down perhaps uh, as early as this December 9th supply-demand report, as you mentioned. It just don't have the sales on the books. We don't have the shipments on the books at this point to justify that number in our opinion. Well, Brian, that means if we could see some export demand fall off, that could be some price risk ahead. And these growers are sitting on a harvest of 
pretty well-priced commodities right now, both corn and soybeans. How do you protect that in your mind going forward? You summarized that well, Mike. We're encouraging growers to defend their balance sheet. And by that, we mean we know that harvest is wrapped up. We know where the price of corn, for example, is today. It's at a very attractive price historically, as you just mentioned. Let's get a get control of those bushels, get a floor underneath those bushels, Mike. You can either sell the bushels in the cash market, purchase a call option in case something does deteriorate weather-wise, for example, in South America. Avoid painting yourself into a corner. Give yourself some flexibility on the upside. Alternatively, Mike, a producer could purchase a put option, in my opinion, would be a, a, an option to consider. Uh, perhaps a, a March put option that would get us through the South American growing season. Regardless, get control of these 2022 bushels, Mike. There are too many dollars at stake to not uh, not do that. Yeah, that's the thing, Brian. When you're looking at a, at, a, at a bin full of grain, as you've mentioned, that is a bin full of money in this environment, isn't it? That's a good analogy, Mike. I think you're looking at an opportunity here, historic opportunity. What you want to do is, again, give yourself control of those bushels. If something happens to the upside, sure, we, we want to take advantage. We still want to be a participant, but we certainly don't want to get caught with a downside with no protection in place. And it's not too early, Mike, in our opinion, to think about 2023 also. December corn's over $6 bushel. November beans for 2023, Mike, near $14 bushel. So it's not too early, but with the February price still three months away for crop insurance. For growers who are thinking about managing risk for 2023, this next growing season, what percentage of expected production would you expect to see hedged at this stage in the game, given that we are pretty early in the marketing year? It's a, it's a very fine question, Mike. Every grower is different. Every grower has different um, needs and, and so on and so forth. But um, you could do such things as, as an initial cash sale, for example, out there, just to get started, maybe buying out of the money call option to protect yourself. Long way to go for 2023. Um, there are short dated options, in my opinion, the producer can consider put options. Uh, true hedge options, uh, in other words, go out to the December 23 corn a put option, November 23 uh, put option for beans. A variety of strategies to consider, Mike. Talk to a trusted risk management consultant and someone that you feel comfortable with. But again, some we, we know that your, your listeners are looking at substantially higher input costs, land costs for 2023. So there's a lot lot uh, of risk there. Um, we really want to get uh, get some prices locked in. Absolutely. When these prices are favorable, sell when you can, not when you have to, I think is the moral here. Brian, looking at some of the other issues that are impacting money flow into the ag economies, we've got these broad market concerns, and Fed Chair Jerome Powell spoke yesterday. Where do we think this interest rate thing is going to go from here? Are we going to start to see it level off? The hints that um, Chairman Powell, as you mentioned, Mike, yesterday seem to be along the lines of the Maybe the interest rate increases, for example, here in, I think it's December 13th and 14th, a meeting of the Fed may not be quite as aggressive as they've been, but it doesn't sound like they're going to stop. I don't want to give your listeners that impression, but the impression that Chairman Powell gave yesterday and the equity market certainly responded favorably was that maybe not quite as aggressive going forward, but a lot of flow to the inflation numbers will still be monitored closely. All right. As those inf interest rates uh, stabilize, would that encourage more money to move into commodities? It's a great question. That The movement of money is, is, is into equities, out of equities, into commodities, out of commodities is something we want to watch with the turn of the calendar here in January, Mike. Um, it's it's a dynamic that every year is, is different. I can't predict what it's going to be, but it is different uh, because those those two tend to compete against each other from the standpoint of 
either money going into the equity market, i.e. the stock market, or money going into the commodity market, and vice versa, coming out of one of the other. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the market interprets that here in 30 days. It certainly will, folks. We've been talking with Brian Basting, economist at ATI. And Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Always appreciate your insight. Appreciate the opportunity, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll dig into some ag policy issues on the ethanol front when AOA returns with Robert White, Vice President of Industry Relations at Renewable Fuel Association. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. At Great Plains, we engineer durable soil management, seeding, and planting equipment to help you get more out of every acre, harvest after harvest. United in purpose, driven by devotion, we work tirelessly to provide solutions so you can build a legacy that'll last. Visit your local dealer or go to greatplainsag.com today to lock in your order and unlock your potential. Great Plains. Harvest starts here. Your grain cart, your auger wagon, your grain buggy, whatever you call it, whatever color, whoever's driving it, it serves a vital role in your operation every harvest. This year, make your grain cart the center of automated record keeping with a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle from ScaleTech. Reliability when it matters most. Accessible records when you need them. Adaptable solutions to fit your operation. We've taken the time to make sure our rugged products adapt to fit your current scale systems. So you have one less thing to worry about when it's go time. Make a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle your partner in automated record keeping at scaletech.com. Scale Tech. Your scale. Your way. By the year 2050, the world's population is expected to reach 10 billion people, and that means a third more mouths to feed with an even smaller rural workforce. On behalf of the American Ag Network, we'd like to thank farmers and ranchers and those working throughout the industry of agriculture for their endless efforts to improve efficiency and sustainability. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america this is mike pearson and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world welcome back ladies and gentlemen to aoa you know just before thanksgiving there was a letter issued by a group of advocates pushing for more stability in the american fuel system notably pushing for the increase of E15, allowing E15 to be sold year-round. What made this letter unique is that its signatories included a lot of the, the familiar faces we talk to who support biofuels in this country, our friends at RFA and so many other ag and energy groups, but also the American Petroleum Institute, the voice really of the oil industry, was on board with this letter. We spoke with Robert White, Vice President of Industry Relations at RFA back then, about how this was going to encourage movement in D.C. And today we've got Vice President Robert White back on the line because we're seeing the fruits of this movement. Robert, thanks for joining us again here on AOA. Thanks for having me, Mike. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. 
I did indeed, sir. Let's talk about this new piece of legislation from Senators Deb Fisher of Nebraska and Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota authorizing E-15 sales year-round. Fill us in. What are the details of this piece of legislation? Well, the details are actually quite simple. It's a very clean piece of legislation that finally puts E-15 and E-10 on the same playing field year-round in conventional gasoline markets. So it extends that one-pound waiver that we've had on E-10 for decades now to E-15 to provide that certainty to retailers that if in fact they do install equipment to offer E-15, that they will be able to sell it year-round. All right, a simple bill, a clean bill, effectively just raising that ceiling to 15% year-round. Robert, what's the conversation like in Washington now that this bill has been introduced? It's bipartisan, it's got support of ethanol and oil groups. Is it a slam dunk? Well, I think that the support behind it is is telling. Now it's the avenue of approach, right? How, where do we put this, get this through? Um, and obviously time is limited, uh, but there is some work being done in Washington before the Christmas break. So we're hopeful there that we'll take advantage of that. If not, then obviously we have a, a strong list of supporters and that list is growing. Uh, we also are circulating some support letters that we'll get you know, various company names, refiners, retailers, and more on board uh, at the individual level. So this is only going to gain more and more support as time goes on. But of course, we're focused on December. We're focused on the lame duck and focused on uh, trying to get this pushed through before the holiday break. Absolutely. It would be great to have that certainty before the end of the year. But Robert, you mentioned the list of supporters is growing. The list of folks who want to see 15% ethanol legally sold year-round is growing. What has changed in that category to, to make E15 a push that all of these folks are, are jumping in behind right now? Well, I think it's the, the notion that we do not want a uh, a patchwork of fuels uh, in the United States. So you've seen the effort, effort by the Midwest governors where they're, they've said, hey, if, if we cannot fix this nationally, we're going to fix it for our individual states. We can't leave these retail assets stranded for three and a half months of the year. And so the refiners are looking at that and saying it'd be a lot easier if we just allowed E15 to be approved year-round across the country versus doing it in Iowa and Nebraska, but not Kansas and Missouri as an example. So I really think it's about making sure they're not spending any more money or doing anything different in their daily routine. And then overall, if we're looking to the future and we want liquid fuels to continue into decades to come, they understand that their easiest and least expensive way to decarbonize their gallon is with more ethanol. So I think it's all coming to a point and thankfully for the U.S. ethanol industry and the U.S. farmer, it's on our side. That is good news, Robert. Hopefully this bill can can find a landing pad there in Congress here before we get to this the end of this new year. From the retailer perspective, the folks that I know you have conversations with, is there consistent push from the retailers to see some kind of uniformity to these laws? There definitely is, and they are lockstep with us. Uh, that's the truck stop operators, it's the uh, Society of Independent Gasoline Marketers, and of course, um, the National Association of Convenience Stores, because at the end of the day, they are agnostic. They're, they're members of the retailers. They sell all sorts of options, as we see across the country. And, and honestly, what they want is throughput, whether it's maple syrup or ethanol or gasoline. They need throughput and margin per gallon. 
and ethanol provides good opportunities and was, as we talked about earlier this year, very high late this year when fuel prices were so high. Indeed, they were. We know that this bill is uh, is being written by Klobuchar and Fisher, Nebraska and Minnesota. Have we seen senators from other non-Midwestern geographies sign on board with this yet, Robert? Or is it mainly still a, a Midwestern phenomenon? It is still mainly Midwestern, but those conversations are going on. Of course, uh, uh, Kramer from North Dakota was a big one, obviously a very large uh, oil producing state. Uh, but I, I do expect that others will sign on as well because of that support by the American Petroleum Institute and the retailers. I mean, if, when you have the, re, the three national retail fuel retailer groups involved, that's all 50 states. So I think it's important and I think you'll see continued growth and that support, both from the legislative side and the individual company side. All right. Well, this is certainly a busy week for the ethanol industry. We are still awaiting the final or the proposed RVOs for the 2023 season. Robert, do we have any idea when EPA might be releasing those numbers? Well, the latest word before I jumped on the phone was yet this morning. So uh, we are expecting a favorable outcome, favorable results from that. But again, until we see it uh, on paper, it's hard to Hard to comment too far, but as all signs pointing to good news for the ethanol industry. All right. We'll be watching for that news to break, folks. If it happens while we're talking, I'll be sure to share it here on the program. But I'm wondering, Robert, about RVOs in the future. If we've got E15 that we're moving year-round and that price is still competitive at the pump and consumers are adapting to it, would this be cause to raise corn ethanol RVOs here in 24 and beyond, or are we capped at 15? Well, we do have a cap of 15, uh, but we we do anticipate a, a resolution uh, from a older court case. We saw half of that uh, court decision, which was 500 million gallons total. We saw 250 million gallons of that last year and do anticipate the remainder of that this year. But we are looking at ways to how do we, you know, how do we get above that 15 billion gallon mark? for conventional ethanol. And there's there's definitely a lot of ideas out there, but I also think that between the certainty of a multi-year RVO, the high value of the renewable identification number or RIN right now, plus HBIP, uh, the funding mechanism coming out of USDA to help retailers offset some of those, along with state and local programs, that you're going to see a large increase in E15 and E85. In fact, convenience store uh, news this week put out a survey, and it actually said, Mike, one in five are considering or planning to add E15 in the next 12 months. That would be a Oh, wow. It, is that nationwide, Robert? Yes, that was nationwide. And 20% were planning to add E15, and 18, I think, percent were planning to add E85. So if those come to fruition, we're talking, you know, almost 30,000 retailers adding higher ethanol blends in the coming months. And of course, we know several hundred are coming from HBIP, uh, multiple rounds of that. But again, if the consumer sees that, has that option and understands that they can use it and then they see that discount, good things happen. Uh, indeed, they do. Robert, that is very exciting. 30,000 additional potential E15 stations or E85 stations. Um, in order for the industry to get there, we got to be making money. How are margins right now across the ethanol industry? Folks still staying in business? Oh, definitely the, the doors are, are open right now as much as anything is, is, is where the corn is located. We do have some plants that are making adjustments to get them through the, through the new year and, you know, have to do some evaluations from there. But 
good news is, for the most part, those that have the product are, are making money. That is certainly good news. Robert, is there any issue for ethanol in the appropriations bill pending here in D.C.? Is that going to touch the, the biofuels industry at all? Well, uh, the, the jury is still out on that, Mike, but we're definitely following that closely. Um, you know, there, there's always some uh, midnight magic that tends to happen sometimes in these late year uh, pieces of legislation. So we're going to monitor that closely and uh, make sure that if nothing else, there's nothing bad in there for us. Well, that's half the battle, isn't it? Keeping the bad stuff away from the industry is always a fight. Folks, we have been talking here with Robert White. He's the vice president of industry relations at the Renewable Fuels Association. We're celebrating the introduction of the Fisher-Klobuchar bill to make E15 available year-round. Robert, this is an exciting week for ethanol. Thanks for taking the time to join the show today. Thanks for covering, Mike. Take care. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to dig into another long-simmering issue in the world of agriculture, and that's labor. Dr. Michael Dykes, President and CEO of the International Dairy Food Association, will be joining us to talk about how it's impacting the dairy industry in particular. Folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up right after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger, Larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA Today. You know, in that last segment, we spoke with Robert White of the Renewable Fuel Association about the action happening in the Senate on this E-15 issue. Well, this next segment, we're going to talk about a lack of action in the U.S. Senate, specifically on the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. Joining me now is Dr. Michael Dykes. He's president and CEO of the International Dairy Food Association. Dr. Dykes, thanks so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Happy to be here. Let's talk about labor issues in the dairy sector. Dr. Dykes, set this up for us a little bit. You have been aggressively, or IDFA has been aggressively pushing for reform here in the labor markets in the U.S. Why is it so important for the dairy sector? The dairy sector needs jobs. We need workers. We have two jobs for every every uh, person seeking a job. Uh, most of our IDFA member processors are at least 10% short on a workforce. And just to put that in perspective, Mike, our members of the International Dairy Food Association process 
90 plus percent of the milk produced in this country. Uh, and as you know, milk is perishable. So we need workers at the farm level. We need workers in the processing units. Uh, and if we don't have labor, we don't have food security. If we don't have food security, we don't have national security. Uh, we desperately need workers. Dr. Dykes, what is it about the current labor laws, labor setup that has hamstrung the dairy industry? How can we fix this? Well, uh, we have a, this really, Mike, is a, is a math problem. We have about 10,000 baby boomers a day turning 65. We have declining birth rates. We don't have a birth rate that's, re, that's, a, that's at a replacement rate. So we just need more people. Uh, we, this, is the, this is an opportune time to come together on immigration reform. We need to allow more people into this country to satisfy the work needs. Probably approximately 50% of the workers on farms are un undocumented. In dairy, it's higher than that. Uh, so we need a process that uh, has a, 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 a method of uh, addressing crossings at the border. Also, we need to streamline the H-2A process, which this bill would do. This bill creates a mandatory e-verify system, and we'd like to see this bill also uh, expand beyond just H-2A for farms, but also to modify the H-2A process so that we can have more uh, uh, migrant labor, uh, more uh, immigrants coming into this country to work in our processing facilities. Absolutely. So, Dr. Dykes, you mentioned the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. This is something that has been kicking around. It is not new in this Congress. We've seen it introduced before. These challenges have been with us for a while. The House has passed it. The Senate has not. What are the hangups you're hearing in Washington, D.C.? Why isn't this bill moving forward? The, the House has passed it twice, Mike. Uh, uh, it, and our view is, uh, if this doesn't happen during this lame duck, we will probably be quite some time before we see another opportunity to get this done. Uh, I think uh, they are trying to resolve some of the issues. Uh, the Senate has not list, yet released a text. Uh, uh, Senator Bennett from Colorado and Senator Crapo from Idaho are working on this. Uh, they've not released a text yet. We understand that they're trying to address some of the, the uh, challenges that have been presented around uh, litigation between workers and, and uh, farm owners. Uh, we also understand that they're looking to make some changes to uh, expand H-2A uh, numbers, visa numbers, so that they can be used by uh, processors and not just far on farm, on the production side, but also on the processing side. So we remain optimistic. This will be an uphill battle, but we remain optimistic that we can maybe get something done during this lame duck session. All right. And so you mentioned those H-2A visas. I've heard a lot of this conversation about immigrant labor coming back to these visas and the requirements therein. Michael, what would the industry like to see changed? Obviously, opening up the, uh, the, the market to processors would do a lot of good. Is there anything else to allow more farmers to uh, be able to use the H-2A program? Well, it would, it would satisfy, and dairy, Mike, as you well know, it's year-round employment. It's not seasonal. So it would satisfy that. It would also streamline the process. Uh, for H-2A. Uh, it would also uh, provide a pathway for certified ag worker uh, if they've been working here. It also would open up a pathway to legal permanent residents uh, if they pay a fine and if they meet the uh, uh, background checks and if they have the years of work experience here. So uh, it would also help with the wage rates across the different types of ag jobs. 
there are many provisions in this that would help streamline what today is a very, very cumbersome process uh, for the H-2A application process. It's a multi-step process. This, would, this bill would streamline that, uh, make it much easier to do, and make the uh, uh, applicants have something that could be transferred from place to place and cover a three-year three period of time. Uh, much oh. needed reforms. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've certainly heard that from several folks throughout the industry here on this program. I'm wondering about the, uh, the the workers that are currently undocumented working in this country on dairy farms or, or other operations across the country. You mentioned there is a pathway for them to pay a fine and be legally recognized as employees. That's part of the bill? Yes, yes. Uh, once I have been granted a certified ag worker and to be a certified ag worker, uh, they have to have been uh, here and working uh, on farms previously uh, to be able to do that. And then once there's, there's just a process that's not, these are not automatic. These don't happen overnight. But as long as there's a continued demonstrated period of time of working on farms and complying with the, again, as I said, the background checks, paying the $1,000 fine, uh, it does provide a pathway for that. Okay. And I'm wondering on the writing of this bill, on the Senate side, you mentioned Senators Bennett of Colorado and Crapo of Idaho, both the dairy producing states. Do those two senators, have they been responsive to the concerns of the dairy industry? Yes, they have been. Uh, we've met with all of them, we've met with both of them and others. Uh, Senator Tillis has also been in, been engaged in this. Uh, uh, several other senators, Senator Thune, others. We've met with with several of them, expressed it. I think there's a genuine interest. I think it's, uh, you know, how do you get across the 60-vote threshold in the Senate? Uh, and, and how can you uh, bring forward something that gets bipartisan support? Uh, immigration reform is always a difficult issue. It's a challenging issue. And uh, the lame duck session, Mike, is challenging because everybody is trying to jam everything in in the last few days before we start a new Congress. Any bill that's been introduced in this Congress, if it doesn't pass in this lame duck, will have to be reintroduced and start the process again next time. We also have a change in leadership in the House and the next Congress, So all and we got to fund the government. All of those are confounding factors, Mike, uh, and it happens every time at the end of a Congress of uh, how many of the competing interests are going to make it through uh, the, the, the final pitch here. Yes, indeed. We're going to be watching for those headlines of large omnibus bills. And to that end, Dr. Dykes, is there the potential that the Farm Worker Modernization Act could be attached to one of the large bills that must pass? I'm thinking defense authorization or or any of the other large ones. Uh, There are two. uh, I always say Washington, Mike, is kind of like a Christmas tree. Uh, Everybody's trying to hang their their ornament on it. Uh, There are two, if you want to think about that analogy, the two Christmas trees the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, or the omnibus to fund the government. I firmly believe that this government will be funded. I don't think anyone in any of the parties want to see the government closed down. Uh, so everyone sees that as, the, as a place to hang their particular interest, their particular ornament on. So we remain optimistic. We have a fly-in uh, coming up here on the 6th and 7th of December. We are. We have a banner on our website so that our members are making contact with their members of the Senate. Uh, we're doing everything we can to uh, encourage senators to come together 
to find a compromise to pass this so that we can get it done in the lame duck session. Because, Michael, as you mentioned, if it does not happen here by the end of this year, it could be a very long slog. This next year, if this doesn't get passed, if we can't get some relief for dairy producers and processors, I imagine we're going to start to see it impact the consumer through higher prices here in 2023. We very, very well, very, very well uh, said, Mike. Uh, we Dairy is a perishable product. Uh, the cows don't realize that COVID happened. The cows don't realize all these other things that are happening. They're milked every single day, seven days a week. It's perishable. We need workers on the farm. We need workers in the uh, in the processing units. And uh, USDA is predicting that in 2023 will be the first time ever we will import more food than we export. Uh, food and agriculture has always had a positive balance of trade meaning we export more than we import. Uh, 2023 USDA is projecting we'll import more food than we export. And when we fail to produce the, the, the supply of food we need, it, it certainly increases prices, consumer prices. So we need, uh, we need labor to manage food, food inflation and to make sure we have uh, national security here in the U.S. that we can meet our own food needs and feed ourselves. Indeed, we do. We got to have labor, not just at the farm, but throughout the processing supply chain so that we can add value here in this country and, and keep those dollars here as we hopefully go to export more food into the future. Folks, we're talking with Michael Dykes, President and CEO of the International Dairy Food Association about the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. And Dr. Dykes, for listeners who want to get active, they want to push their senator, where can they go for more information on the bill? You go to IDFA.org. Uh, and we have a red banner that they can click on, send a message directly to their member of Congress. Uh, and I would encourage everyone listening to do that today. Uh, time is of the essence here. It is. It is crunch time, folks. That's Dr. Michael Dykes, President and CEO of the IDFA. Dr. Dykes, thanks for joining us today. Mike, thanks so much for having me. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to take a look at soybean production this past year with Doug Little, the BASF Soybean Seed Marketing Manager. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Your grain cart. Your auger wagon. Your grain buggy. Whatever you call it. Whatever color, whoever's driving it, it serves a vital role in your operation every harvest. This year, make your grain cart the center of automated record keeping with a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle from ScaleTech. Reliability when it matters most. Accessible records when you need them. Adaptable solutions to fit your operation. We've taken the time to make sure our rugged products adapt to fit your current scale systems. So you have one less thing to worry about when it's go time. Make a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle your partner in automated record keeping at scaletech.com. Scaletech. Your scale. Your way. At Great Plains, we engineer durable soil management, seeding, and planting equipment to help you get more out of every acre. Harvest after harvest. United in purpose, driven by devotion, we work tirelessly to provide solutions so you can build a legacy that'll last. Visit your local dealer or go to greatplainsag.com today to lock in your order and unlock your potential. Great Plains. Harvest starts here. 
It's believed the very first official cattle drive took place in 1779. The Spanish joined the American Revolution, wanting to push out British rivals. Louisiana Spanish governor asked Texas for cattle to help feed their troops, and 2,000 head of cattle were gathered and sent to Louisiana. This agricultural history is brought to you by the American Ag Network. With sustainability as agriculture's latest focus, ag is actually one of the few industries that works as both a source and a sink for greenhouse gases. Almost all other sectors in society only produce greenhouse gases, but there are two sectors that are both sources and sinks, and that's forestry and agriculture. These land use sectors take on more carbon than they emit. These are Ag Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In 1964, the Food Stamp Act was signed to fight poverty. Now known as SNAP or the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, it actually stems from the 1930s when it helped to stimulate the economy by encouraging the buying of surplus foods. Blue stamps were designated to purchasing surplus foods by USDA, and the color orange continues to signify the commitment to end U.S. hunger. This Ag History is brought to you by the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day today. We hope that this information helps you make better decisions as you go down the road here in this industry of agriculture. And making those better decisions in the future is what this next conversation is about. Farmers are taking a look at their records this past season and seeing just how everything turned out, and now's the time to make those tweaks. So when it comes to soybeans, well, that's what we're talking about with my next guest. I'm joined next by Doug Little. He's the soybean seed marketing manager for BASF. Doug, you work with the Zatavo brand, and I've got to talk to you about performance. How did those beans compete in 2022? Yeah, yeah. yeah thanks, Mike. Yeah, Zatavo brand is a brand that we have from MS Technology. They own the brand, but we are the exclusive distributor for that brand. It's just a two-year-old brand, and we've had some fabulous performance in 2022. Uh, we use the first trials. It's an independent trial, uh, third-party trial, as well as uh, we've also looked at Winfield answer plots. So the first trials in 2022, we've picked up 12 winners, first-place winners across the Midwest. So we, we market from from uh, Delaware all the way to the Dakotas and then from, from you know, Wisconsin down to the Kentucky market. So your listening audience can certainly look at the first trials for those key uh, performances. In fact, we had 118 winners this last year, 118 top 10 winners this last year. Doug, Zatavo is, is very impressive, and to put those kind of, of marks on the board is neat. After two years in the market, what was it about Zatavo that drew BASF to it? What technology is this bringing to the table? Yeah, no, thanks. The technology is the Enlist E3 trait technology, and it's the germplasm and technology combination that, that really uh, sets us apart. Not all E3 um, performances are the same. Um, and there's a lot of products out there that carry the E3 trait and germplasm coming from the same source. But if you go through the trials, you'll start to see differentiations. And you wonder, why does a towel perform better than maybe a, a like brand in another company? It really boils down to how our soybean supply group works together to pick the, the, variety, the supply varieties we get from the supplier and making sure that they're in the marketplaces that they're going to perform. We also work with exclusive uh, we work, uh, third-party tollers. Now, these are the folks that go out and do the production for us. They work really close with the growers in the market area that the seed's going to be sold. 
When that comes back in, we have uh, tollers that have state-of-the-art equipment. We make sure that they have color sorters, air cleaners, and they go beyond the state of um, requirements for uh, seed quality. So you bring all that into a combination of picking the right varieties, making sure they work for the local grower, and, um, and, and the quality that's expected, that starts to differentiate the differences in the different um, brands that people are looking at that might have the same trait. Doug, with this technology package that comes with Zatavo, if I'm a grower out there in the countryside, what do I need to see on my farm to make me go, yeah, Zatavo is what I need in this environment right here? Well, it, it goes back to performance. You know, the growers are looking for yield. And it's a combination of, of the products, but also the support they get from the local ag retailer and the local agronomist to making sure that they're placing the Zatavo in the right location. And, that's, and that goes back to happen, making sure that who they're working with, the ag retailer is who we exclusively work our brand through, that they really are well-versed in making sure that they understand the variety and the best placement for that variety in the, in the field. You mentioned it's worked through ag retailers. That's the channel that Zatavo is going to the market. And I've got to imagine, Doug, BASF, of course, with a lot of crop protection chemicals working with ag retailers, there's probably some synergy between Zatavo and the crop protection stuff, isn't there? Absolutely. And that's what we call our total solution opportunity for the grower. Ag re we've, we've chosen ag retailer because of their um, uh, relationship we've had with our BASF chemicals. So now the ag retailer can promote Zatabo along with the crop protection products, uh, the seed treatment products, and the uh, fungicide and uh, further the uh, plant health products. So now an ag retailer can work really close with that soybean grower and offer them that complete package to give them that total solution for, for their success in the farm. Doug, as folks are trying new things on their operation, we've got a period of, of profitability in agriculture that leads to more growers trying new things, maybe practicing new scenarios. As they're putting these trials into effect, once they're completed, how do you like to evaluate the data that you receive when you do something like this? Yeah, that's, uh, thanks for asking that question because we really look for uh, more demos out there. We, we want to get product out to, to more growers on side-by-side -side because once they see the, the performance, they're going to be really happy. But we need those trials out there to collect that data, and we'll work hand-in-hand -hand with that grower to make sure that they're happy with the product, that their experience with BSF and the soybean business is what they're looking for, and then we'll collect that data and, and wrap it up year-end and, and use it to help uh, future growth of that product and, and working with more growers in that area. Working with more growers. I hear a theme of growth, Doug, as we're talking. Yeah. The performance is strong. The demand is there. How's supply look for Zatavo seed heading into 2023? Yeah, so it's it's been very strong. Now we go through a forecast process with our field folks and, and the retailers and the growers they work with to make sure that we have a lineup from the group zeros all the way to the group late fours. And so uh, we're, in a, we're in a good position for 2022. We have a product already been positioned at ag retail. So making sure that they go and ask that ag retailer for the Zatavo brand to secure what's already out there so they can move it onto the farm. And then with our you know, crop protection products, our Liberty herbicide, we have some nice uh, synergies that to make sure that they have, uh, when they're buying our Zatavo seed, that we're assuring that they're gonna have some liberty for that, for that uh, weed control they need. Doug, there's so much data out there on the products from BASF, on Zatavo specifically. What's the best way for growers to learn whether or not this will work into their operation? Yeah, I can completely continue to go back to that local ag retailer. That local ag retailer is well-versed in what products they have for the, for the growers in their area. And now that we have Zatavo out there, our 
area agronomist as well as our agronomic service advisors are working close hand in hand with that ag retailer and the markets are working and make sure they're picking that right variety for that grower to put it in the right placement on their field. Get out there, talk to those ag retailers. Moral of the story here, if you're looking for Zotavo in 2023. Absolutely, and, and continue to um, you know, ask what you're looking for and making sure that you understand that you're getting the right variety for your field. Great points, folks. We've been talking with Doug Little here. He is the Soybean Seed Marketing Manager at BASF, talking about that Zitavo Seed Solution. Doug, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike, and, and good luck to your growers. Well, folks, do be sure to tune in tomorrow. We'll be talking with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics about what is happening in these markets. We'll see you then for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. With farmers and ranchers being only 2% of the population, agriculture actually employs over 24 million Americans. Agriculture also contributes $1.3 trillion to the national economy. There are just over 2 million farms and ranches in the U.S., averaging in size of about 400 acres, with each farm having the ability to feed 165 people around the world. These are Ag Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In 1954, the number of tractors on farms surpassed the number of horses and mules for the first time. And with careful stewardship by America's farmers and ranchers, we've seen a 34% decline in erosion of cropland by wind and water since 1982. As for farm products, milk, corn, and soybeans are the top three here in the United States. These ag facts are brought to you by the American Ag Network.